For more information on how you can be challenged for the purpose of change, visit us at patmosreality.com. Welcome back to the Patmos Podcast. I'm here in the studio with Zach Patterson. Hey, how's it going? Ian Brockway. What's up, guys? Adonis Reeves. How you doing? Adonis, I usually start with you. I'm glad you ended with me. First shall be last. Yeah. And the last shall be first. So why Wait, don't you... she was first and now she's last. So, so oh, that's opposite. right. So, yeah. So <laughs> maybe you'll just be last. <laughs> yeah, I'm exalted. She was demoted. <laughs> Oh, so it I'll look, be happy where I am. It Jennifer. doesn't look good for you, Adonis. No, not so much. But it's okay because we're talking about the corrupt church. Can't get any better than that. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> we are talking about the corrupt church. It's Revelation chapter two. Uh, we are exactly uh, Revelation chapter two, verse eighteen. We're going to be there today. Um, why don't we start in prayer, Adonis? Take us and lead us in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our example. Lord, for being able to go before us, to uphold us. Lord, to instruct us and to be. Um, our ever-present help. Father, as we dive into your word, we pray that you would give us insight and wisdom, Lord, that we may be able to take and grab hold of and allow it to change our hearts and our lives. We invite you into this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Mm. You know, every single one of these churches introduces, and Jesus introduces for us, another portion of his character. And he says, I am the son of God. And he says very carefully, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. And I wonder when Peter was looked upon by Jesus, when he denied him three times, Mm -hmm. did he see these eyes? Did he see these eyes piercing him, this justice side of God, but yet this Mm -hmm. loving side of God? Yeah, I hope so. I think personally at that moment, he experienced the Trinity. He saw Jesus, felt the conviction of the spirit, but yet like the flames of fire from the father who refines. Mm -hmm. Yes, the flame in the furnace, like it purifies you, it burns those things off that you need to change. Like Peter saw Jesus, immediately that conviction hit and well and i love the way he he starts out that just side of god by saying the son of god he puts it into a familial Mm. relationship to say look i am a god of justice but i'm also a god of mercy i understand this family thing better than anybody yeah you just said a word familial familial isn't that a word that's another word. That's a good one. It's a chat word. Let's try to use that one sometimes. You know, know, we used to have a studio that would would record all my chetisms, and actually (laughs) was going to make a sermon with all of those chetisms. But uh, anyway, a family term, son of God. You know, uh, and just kind of communicating to us his heartbeat that he is a God of justice and these flames of fire. Now, I don't know about you guys. Have you ever had that moment with the Lord? And maybe it's a sermon, maybe it's mm-hmm. a book that you've read or your own devotional time in the word of God where the the flames of the fiery eyes of Jesus have like penetrated straight <laughs> to your soul. Nah. <laughs> Ian's, Ian and his perfection. But, uh, you know, seriously, no, think of... I just of, haven't experienced God. That was- have we experienced that thing with the lord maybe it's a sermon or a bible study or a devotion where he just his eyes just penetrate to our soul what what is that like for you guys yeah it's a refining time for me you know though it's 
it's hard and you feel like the scraping <laughs> away of the dross at the same time, there's just this purifying and understanding and insight into the heart of God. Well, when feats are... Feats. Feats. <laughs> when feats are... go, baby. <laughs> Let's talk about the feats. The feats of Jesus. <laughs> when the feet of Jesus are like brass... And they're pounding on you. I mean, that doesn't necessarily feel great. But the truth is, is that those feet are squashing some grapes that are going to produce some pretty incredible wine. Yeah. And I think the tendency for some people, at least myself, is when I am being squished and I'm looking at Jesus and I'm comparing him or contrasting his character to mine is condemnation. I think sometimes Mm -hmm. I go straight to condemnation and I don't see that, yeah, he's piercing into my soul but he's doing it to set me free and not to be held down, not to be guilty, but to move forward and change. You know, yeah. Peter says that judgment begins in the house of God and it's for our betterment. Hezekiah, when he, remember when the Lord said, hey, put your house in order, you're going to die. And then he prays his prayer when the Lord releases him of that sickness. And he basically says, this bitterness was for my betterment. Yeah. God was judging me for the sake of refining me. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, in Revelation one fifteen, it says, "In his feet, like unto fine brass, as if they burned into in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters." And he's talking about this. He's emphasizing purity and how brass is pure and it's refined in a fire. And it's also talking about how brass was one of the strongest metals back in the day. And this strength, Jesus's feet, is just strength and steadfastness. And we can stand on that. It's, it's unmovable, you know? Right. So not only is he using this as a matter of judgment, he's using it to make us stand strong. You know, mm-hmm. this removing these things out of our life is a good thing. Now, it doesn't feel great all the time. And sometimes mm-hmm. the way that he does it, you know, who likes to go to, through a storm? But when he comes out in the midst of the storm and says, it is I, don't be afraid, then there's a heartbeat that goes, man, you are with me. You are actually holding me. Yeah. I love Pastor Chet how it's just, once again, you said this at the beginning, that he paints this picture of his character Mm. to take us into what he knows about us, you know? Well, let's take a look at that in verse 19. I know your works, your love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. I know you. Mm. I know you. We don't have to explain ourselves to Jesus. He knows everything about us. Now, that affects my life. Yeah. And it should affect my life. It's the best news and the worst news all at the same time. (laughs) Because he knows what I'm thinking right now. Yeah. You know, he knows the motives of my heart. And maybe if we practice that I know you a little bit more in our life, maybe some of the way that we do things would change a little bit. Even the way we pray. I think we go before God and it's like, all right, we're going to talk about this and we're going to say this. It's almost like we're trying to manipulate our prayers, you know, and like, Telling God what we want so we can almost get what we want and we forget that. He already knows what we're going to pray before we say it, you know, and he knows the motive of the heart. And that's and I'll even take that point. I love the fact that, you know, it's like my kids when they pray, you know, they'll say things in their prayer that I'm like, oh, Lord, here's what they really mean. You know, know, it's one of those things where you don't want to correct them. But how many times with Jesus as the one who intercedes for us on behalf of us, does he have to correct to God the Father, some of the prayers that we pray, it's like, ah, oh, no, here's his real heart. Exactly. You know, here's what he's really trying to communicate in that sense. Yeah. He says, I know you. I know your works. I know your love. I know you serve. I know everything about you. Yeah. I think this also equips us for battle. When we go through those times of just like attack in our minds of our self-worth or loneliness or depression or whatever rises up, it's usually a gap between 
who we are in Christ, who sa- who God says we are, and what we choose to believe. And I think if we're able to know this truth, it equips us to battle. It mm. equips us to fight effectively. Excellent. And you know, here's the incredible thing about this church in verse 19. Their works are increasing. So their love, their service, their faith, their works are increasing. Now, the, there's an issue with sometimes with that when our works begin to increase. We can begin to lose sight of the Savior himself and get focused on the work of the Savior. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you guys where you just get so busy about ministry that you the Lord has kind of wake you up a little bit and say, wait, 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 what about me? Let's talk. Yeah, Definitely this happened. morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, Donis, you were talking about that that gap that's created. And even you were, Ian, you were even saying the the condemnation that you feel sometimes when you when you go before the Lord. And when we're not in that relationship with him, that's when that's when that's really created. And when I'm growing in work, sometimes I find that my relationship with him is it's decreasing. based on those works yeah. and my relationship. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that point back about what Ian said in regards to condemnation, because we've got to be careful that we recognize that God is is a just God that's judgment beginning in the house of God because he's trying to refine us. Now, the enemy comes with that condemnation. I can't believe you did this. Mm -hmm. But we've got to recognize that is from the enemy. Yeah, and I think exactly even what you're talking about, you tied it back into relationship. And works without relationship is just legalism. Mm -hmm. And legalism, there's no grace. There's no peace. There's It's just not the gospel of grace. It's not what, what, what we're called to. And when we're in the right relationship, it's like when your kids love you, Pastor Chet, they want to do the dishes just because they love you, that they want to help you. Mm-hmm. But whenever they don't, if, if someone comes over, they don't love you, they're just, they're doing it because they feel like they have to. They're not doing it out of the right heart. And I think when we have that right heart, when we're, we're in right relationship with Christ, then our works, we don't get focused on works. We're just doing it because what we're called to do. Yeah, yeah. it's a difference of a performance as compared to relationship. If mm-hmm. I'm going to be in a performance, I have to become a character, go on stage and perform even though it's not me. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in relationship, I don't have to perform with Jesus because yeah. he knows me already. Why would I perform anyway? Right. You know, he knows everything about me. Um, let's go on and see what happens as these works increase in verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Now, here's the justice heart of God. He gets straight to the jugular and goes to the point because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, if you remember in the last church, they compromised and they allowed this doctrine to kind of be talked about and kind of be there. But now... She's actually this uh, a prophetess saying, I am a prophetess. So she's a, like a wolf in sheep's clothing. And mm. now she's preaching from the pulpit this doctrine of sexual immorality. Wait, does Jesus call her a Jezebel or is that her name? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jesus goes, that woman Jezebel. Now, you remember Jezebel. We don't see a lot of little Jezzies running around. Like <laughs> yeah. you see some Isaiahs, you see some Josiahs, <laughs> you see some, you know, Priscilla's and all these other great names of the Bible. But yes. how many of you know someone that goes, oh, I can't wait to name my little girl Jezebel? You know, <laughs> yeah. this is a wicked woman. And There's Jesus, no way that was her name. That was not her literal name. <laughs> <laughs> no, her name was Jezebel. And so she, here we got this woman who comes into the church. And she says, and basically this is a doctrine. And so this doctrine of Jezebel who taught sexual immorality. Mm. You guys, sexual immorality fills the church. 
Think about the church today. Mm -hmm. Think about the struggles of relationship. Think about the sexual morality between a man and a woman who are boyfriend and girlfriend. They're in love and they're wrestling with this thing as it comes from every angle. What's our standard? Yeah, it's hard. It's a struggle um, because I guess there are times where people don't feel like there is a choice. I don't feel like, and I love how it opens up here where it says, because you allow. Mm. And that gives us a sense of responsibility and also a way of escape. But yet, at, at what is it that makes people feel like I don't have a choice or I, I have what no you're saying, Donis, We do have, we should have a sense of, of responsibility. Mm-hmm. We've allowed these things in the church. What are some of the, what are some of those things that we've allowed in our own personal lives from music? to maybe some of the movies that we watch? These things that we say have no impact on our morality, but do they? And have they changed our standard? Yeah, I mean, uh, before I went to Patmos, I'd been a Christian for a long time, and I had, like, collected movies. So I had a lot of movies in my collection, and then I watched some of them more recently, and I was surprised by how many I needed to throw out. Mm. And it was eye-opening to think, wow, I was a Christian and I was in the church, and yet I hadn't been purified by the Lord and purified by the word in a way that would allow me to see clearly, like, this is bad for me. Mm-hmm. It's a negative thing. I, I didn't know the standard. And that's so key, um, Zach, because I think some people might hear some legalism. They might hear this thing of like, well, what do you mean? You can't watch this movie, but you can watch this movie. And there could be like a do this, do that with that thought. But I love what you just said. This is bad for me. Mm-hmm. This is not healthy for my spirituality. This is affecting something internally in me. And I believe the Lord wants to purify his church of those things. Yeah, and that purification comes from the word. Like the word is our determining factor. And when we start to lack, when we start to, you know, not really put the word as a priority in our day to day and it turns to weeks and then it turns to little scriptures here and there, it's like, The enemy's crafty. Well, this woman has been given or this teacher has been given an authority. So they're actually teaching from the pulpit. And the word here is seduced. They're being seduced. How do I prevent myself from being seduced by a doctrine that I'm actually listening to? I'm listening to them teach. I've got a person of influence calling herself a prophetess. Now she's communicating this truth or in whoever it is in the church, he, she communicating this truth as truth. Right. Oh, excuse me, communicating it as truth, even though it's not. How do I pr- protect myself from being seduced by this in today's church? Well, you, you need to know the word. You need to understand what you believe. If you don't know what you believe, how can you stand for truth? I think one of the biggest problems in the church is ignorance of the word of God. Yeah. yeah. And the first problem is she's calling herself a prophetess. Like it's, she's not ordained by God. And the second problem is she's teaching the church. That's not biblical. Women are not supposed to be teaching the church. So we've got what we have here then is we've got someone that's communicating a doctrine that's just not true. Yeah. It's not true. So he's saying, all right, we've got to be people of the word. And in Hebrews chapter five, it says we should be in the word so that we can discern what's good and evil by reason of our use. So our pages need to be a little tattered up. Mm-hmm. We need to be in the word of God or our, our, if you read your word on your iPad or iPhone or whatever it is, you know, you, it should be just tattered up with you knowing and understanding scripture. And also taking the time to just discipline yourself to memorize scripture. Um, Exactly. 
Exactly. Now take a look at this. And look at verse 21. And I gave her time to repent of her sexuality, sexual immorality, and she did not repent. I love this about the justice side of God. I know. Even though this person is communicating something other than truth, he is constantly beckoning her, constantly beckoning him to say, listen, repent, come back to God. This reminds me of the story of, of the Apostle Paul. Remember what Jesus said when he showed up? Uh, Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the goats? In other words, I've been trying to get your attention a long time. Yeah, it does. It asks that question. You know, I love it. I, I gave her time. How much time is God giving us? When does that time run out? Exactly. Uh, to me, it's the long-suffering heart of God. Mm. But he's going to define for us, Ian, when that time does run out. If you take a look at verse 22, Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I'll kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Theotira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. Here's the deal. There's going to be a time in the world's history where this doctrine is going to be judged, and there won't be an opportunity to say, all right, I'm ready. I want to change. In fact, this is called the Great Tribulation, and these children are the children of the enemy who have decided, I'm not going to go the way of God. Mm. Pastor Chet, can you tell us a little bit about the Great Tribulation, that time period, that time frame? Well, you know, the Bible describes for us in the book of Revelation that the tribulation period is divided up into two periods, a tribulation and a great tribulation. Each one lasts about three and a half years. The first tribulation, about three and a half years, and the second part of the seven-year period is another three and a half years. It's during this time that the wrath of God is going to be poured out in judgment mm. on the world because of their rejection and their desire not to repent. So do we heed the word of God? Well, what so much about today is the day of salvation. Yeah. Today is the day. And if you're listening right now, and there is something penetrating your heart because of sexual immorality that you're involved with, now is the time for you to repent and say, you know what? Today's my day. God has got my attention, and I want to choose to change. I, I have a question. Um, why, is, why is there so much sexual immorality in the church if being in the Word provides the standard and gives God the opportunity to come in and purify people and I mean, I'm thinking about personal experience. I was in the church for a long time and I wasn't necessarily abiding by the standard, but I don't, I'm not sure that I know why. Like, why is that? We got to remember what we see here. Jezebel's in the church. And so if the enemy can't get us from the outside in, he'll get us from the inside out. So and there are people in church that aren't coming just for those reasons. Now, I'm thankful, thankful that they are there because God is going to do that. But the answer, I think, part of the answer to your question is men love darkness. There is something about the flesh that we have to choose to fight because the enemy is seducing the flesh. Yeah. He is luring the flesh. And if we choose to give into our flesh in any area of our life, then we could put, for example, I'm praying now for self-control. Self-control to what I eat and how I, my heart, my attitude, and my character, 
That's my prayer because I want to be a man that is self-controlled in every aspect so that when my test comes, I'm able to be self-controlled to be able to walk through that, whatever that thing may be. But in the same light, if we're not practicing the fruit of the Spirit, if we're not purposing to put those things as a part of our life, then the flesh will very naturally begin to rise up. I think that's a good point because, like you're saying, it's, a, it's natural. Our flesh tendencies are natural. It's, it's easy for us to go there. And I think a good, like, practical for us to all to work on is self-control. And whether it be controlling how you eat, maybe what you eat, or maybe, I don't know, just some way to practice self-control this week would be a good thing. Because ultimately, like, sexual immorality, masturbation, having sex with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, doing these things is a matter of not having self-control, not being able to overcome your flesh. Absolutely. And that's exactly what he closes up here with. And he says, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give him power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. As I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who is in here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen, hold fast and be an overcomer with the works that I would do. That's the works of the Spirit. Yeah, and it's the work of the Word in your heart and in your life. Oh, that's a good one, Adonis. Because I don't know if oftentimes we respond to the work of the Word in our heart and our life. Mm -hmm. You know, he says here, and if you take a look back up at verse 23, he says, I am the he who searches the minds and the hearts. To me, that's where sexual immorality begins. We've got to fight the battle before the battle. It happens in our mind and it happens in our heart. That's why I think the word tells us, take captive those thoughts. Jesus says, Mm -hmm. I know what's going on in your heart and mind. And if we would recognize, all right, you know, I need to take captive those thoughts. I need to apply the word in that moment. Then I think change can happen. So, Pastor Chet, what do you say to the person who is struggling or is choosing sexual immorality but wants to stop how what do they do it's like yeah i hear the word but like where do i read what do i what do i do like if they want to be able to stop this behavior and heed what the spirit is saying to this church for them practically what do they do listen to this it's romans chapter 13 okay he says this let us walk properly, verse 13, as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but, and here's the, your answer, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Mm. I've got to start making right choices. Amen. When I know the right choice, I've got to ask the Spirit of God to empower me to walk in obedience to the Word of God that I know. Amen. And so if you're sensing that conviction right now, There's a prayer that says, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, empower me by your spirit that I might tonight to be able to walk in the power of the spirit and say no to my flesh and yes to Jesus. That's our challenge to change today. God bless you guys. Until next time, we'll see you then. Thank you for your support and generous donations. And if you feel led to invest and give, you can do so at patmosreality.com forward slash give.